Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hey friends, we are on sabbatical from the STC podcast. This is my first sabbatical in seven years, but we will be back in April with brand new episodes of the STC podcast. In the meantime, there are a lot of things happening still with STC. Uh, among them is a brand new workshop that we put together for you that you can sign up at a date and time that works for you. If you are a successful private practitioner and interested in launching an online course, you can check out that workshop over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Again, that's sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Hello there, welcome to session 64 of Selling the Couch. Hope today finds you doing really well. We are getting unseasonably warm weather in Philly. I am so ready for spring. It was like in the 60s this past weekend and we were just able to enjoy the weekend, spending it with our family and our loved ones. And uh, we were going to go hiking, but we didn't quite get a chance to get out, but hoping to do it here this coming week. So today's podcast is actually all about increasing efficiency in the day-to-day running of your private practice. I know that this is a topic that we don't often talk about as clinicians, but it is such an important topic because the lack of efficiency in those day-to-day operations can add to a lot of extra time. And it can also lead to things like burnout, and it can lead to things like you working more than you need to within the practice itself. My guest today is Dana Hampson from TheBalancedLifeLLC.com. Dana is down in Alabama, and she has built a very successful private practice, now employing four additional clinicians, and she actually has an MBA as well, and she has learned a ton of things about how to run a more efficient practice. So we're going to learn a number of things today, which include just when starting out, what are some of those things that you maybe don't even think about that you're thinking, oh, I just got to do that. But ultimately, it does affect the efficiency and how your practice is run. How does she manage to kind of stay caught up when it comes to insurance and billing and show notes, or not show notes, case notes, I'm in like podcast mode here, Uh, when it comes to case notes? And then how does she go about like online documentation and all of those kind of things? And then we ask like, what are some common mistakes that she's made? And she also sees other clinicians making when it comes to increasing their efficiency in private practice. 
And then we wrap it up with Dana sharing some of the things about that she's learned and her top three tips to increase efficiency in your private practice. So here is my conversation with Dana Hampson from TheBalancedLifeLLC.com. Hey, Dana, welcome to Selling the Couch. Good morning, Melvin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, looking forward to our conversation. I feel like this is probably not a topic that the average clinician talks about, but I feel like as a business owner, this is such an important topic. Yeah, it's probably not the most glamorous topics, that's for sure. And I think most folks that are clinically oriented don't like to think a lot about um, efficiency and business kind of stuff. But really, to be successful at what we do, it's it's really important that we do think about it. And we look at ways to maximize our time so that ultimately we're getting to do what we really want to do, which is have fun and feel peaceful and spend time with our families and, and all that good soul nurturing kind of stuff. Yeah. And the reason why we actually started a small business, right? To be able to afford that freedom and to be able to do those things. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I just wanted to start at the beginning, which is uh, why do you think that it is so important to have an efficient private practice? Well, primarily because being efficient is what allows us to get to do what we want to do. So if I'm really mindful of where my time goes and what I'm doing throughout the day to make things run more smoothly, then it puts me in a position to maximize the time that I'm going to be working and also maximize the time that I'm not. So I'm I'm very aware of what I'm doing really on a minute-by-minute basis. And it doesn't mean that I'm rigid with my time, but it means I'm aware of my time so that I don't have segments of my day where I wonder what did I just do for the last 30 minutes or what did I do? What did I do 15 minutes ago? I just am very clear about where I want my time to go because ultimately, like you mentioned, we all, you know, probably went into private practice for two reasons. One, because we wanted to be our own boss and operate the way we felt like a business should run and help people in that arena. But also because we wanted more time to do the things that are important to us on a personal level. So if I'm not efficient, then I'm not able to do those things like I really want to do them, which kind of defeats the purpose of being in private practice in the first place. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, one of the things that you said earlier was this idea of like, you almost have it broken down into minute by minute. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that because, you know, I think for all of us, we can say, oh, you know, I can just do this little task or I I need to get this done. And we can like kind of let it go and and do it. But then it's really like the cumulative effects of doing a bunch of little things like that, mm-hmm. where the it I think ultimately for me, I think it leads to a lot of burnout for us as clinicians. Yeah. And, and we can get lost in lots of little tasks and then ultimately haven't really accomplished much of anything. So I do have to still do the little task, but I've got to have a, a bigger picture for what my vision is for the day and, and what I need to get accomplished um, overall. And then how do the little things I do throughout the day add up to getting to where I want to be today and this week and in the next year, you know, it's, it's that I've got a, a, my sight set on ultimately where I'm trying to go, not just, uh, you know, I've got a bunch of piddly things to do today. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, because it's like uh, the idea of getting lost in the trees and losing the sight of the forest. 
yes, I think I say that about 17 times a week to clients <laughs> and, and it's got to, you know, I need to practice what I preach. I have to have a, I have to be able to see the details, but I've got to keep my sight set on what the big picture is for myself and for, you know, business. Right. So uh, even at a practical level, like just thinking about private practice and how far in advance do you actually like set out, set outside that vision? Like, is it a year out, two years out, five years out, or how does it work? For us, we, we kind of have a, a three-year plan right now. Um, and that, that actually is, was sort of defined for us just in terms of the lease that we signed. So we knew we were kind of locked in on a certain level for three years, but then we thought, how can we expand the business beyond um, what we want to do in the one location that we are right now, how can we get bigger than that and what can we do? And so, you know, I think about what I need to do on a daily basis to grow the business and then what, um, you know, what our plan is for the month, events that we need to be involved in, things that we want to get accomplished, and then how that leads to what we want to do over the next year and then ultimately where we want to be probably in the next three to five years. Right. So there's like a nuanced thing, which you're saying, which I think is very important. So you, you basically set aside like a three-year vision and then you work backwards to yes. create mm-hmm. what that, what you, the little steps that you need to do to, to make that dream come true. Yes. And I think that's where a lot of people can get stuck is they know in general what they want to do, but they don't have a big picture plan um, or they have the big picture plan, but they don't know the little things they need to do to get there. So I think working backwards is a great way to do that. Here's my overarching vision. And then what are the things I need to do on a daily, weekly, monthly and annual basis to make sure I'm getting there and to have the checks and balances in place so that I need if I need to regroup or back up or look at things differently, I got the data to support it and can say, this isn't working or this wasn't as effective last year. So maybe we won't, don't want to try that again, but it keeps us always kind of questioning, is this the the best thing to do to get where we want to go? And if I don't know where I want to go, I can't answer that question. Right. So whenever, even when you're like thinking about it, do you think at, at just the level of your business or do you think like also like on a, a personal level, like a financial level, like your family's level, like, do you, do you like factor those like sort of avenues or those parts of your life in as well? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think you can um, or should look at your master plan for your business and not think about how that impacts your family and what you want to see for your family. You know, because we opted for me to go into private practice a couple of years ago and I was 41, you know, so I'm not um, early into my career, but I've still got plenty of time to go. So it was at a good point to use my experience and knowledge to branch out. But I'm also had to be mindful of um, planning for retiring at some point in my life, you know, and what that's going to look like. And, you know, we have a daughter in elementary school and what do things need to look like for her? So, you know, having a financial master plan for what uh, we'd like the business to help us be able to do in terms of savings and um, future planning and trips and um, things as a family, it definitely guides the decision-making process for us. Yeah. How did you guys do, is that something you guys kind of revisit like multiple times a year or you kind of revisit every year? How does that work? Well, my husband actually is very instrumental in helping me with billing and um, filing insurance claims and, and doing our QuickBooks documentation and he, he coordinates with our accountant. And so he, um, he reminds me frequently of where we are. Um, and so we look at, especially kind of looking at, um, 
where we're at in terms of growth and, and financial progress, we'd look at that probably uh, once a week, if not more often than that, just mm-hmm. to keep a very close eye on what we're doing now compared to last year. And is, does this make sense? Is this the most, really, is this the most efficient use of what I'm able to do? And that's where him being able to help with the billing and the QuickBooks and the um, insurance stuff has been super helpful because I certainly can do those things. It's not a matter of ability. It's just a matter of that's not the best use of my time. So him helping with me with that frees me up to do the clinical stuff and the marketing stuff, which mm-hmm. makes a lot more sense for me to be involved in. Yeah, that that ties more into your strengths as well. Sure. Um, just shifting a little bit, um, what just in terms of like efficiency and in your day-to-day routines, uh, what's a task or routine that maybe when you were first starting out that you felt like, oh, this is like the most important thing you have to do, but in hindsight was probably really inefficient and not a good use of your time, especially as a business owner? I think uh, <laughs> the thing that stands out to me very quickly is multitasking. Mm-hmm. And I, like lots of people, thought that I was really good at it. And you almost wear it like a badge of honor. You know, I'm, I'm really, really good at multitasking. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what I found was that really what happens when we multitask is that we reduce our productivity pretty dramatically because we get a lot more done when we focus fully on one thing at a time. And, you know, we can't always do that, but there's a lot of value in being mindful in our lives. And this goes for our work as well. So if I can save time by staying focused and on one task at a time, then that's what I want to do because this helps me not waste the valuable time by dividing my attention between too many things. And, Ultimately, what happens is I don't really get anything done particularly well. I may get a lot of stuff done sort of well or kind of well, but I don't get anything done super well. So what ends up happening with that is then you end up having to go back and fix stuff, you know, because I've kind of halfway done a lot of stuff or not really given the kind of attention I need to to get things done um, in a in a complete and thorough manner. So I've, I'm going to spend more time going back and tying up more loose ends and f- correcting things or, um, you know, having to go back and make alterations. So if I can spend more time, not really more time, if I can spend time just focusing on one thing at a time, get it done really well, then move on to something else, I really am actually more productive. And when I applied that, before, even before private practice, when I, I read some stuff about multitasking and, and really the drawbacks to it and really started to focus on making myself stay on track, and I'm I, I'm a pretty focused person, but you know, you're sitting at your desk and you've got all these things going on and you feel like you've got... 10 different forms you need to fill out and 15 phone calls you need to answer and you're, you're, you've got all these emails. And so you try to do all of that at once, really each time you stop one task and pick up something else, but you haven't really finished anything. The time to reboot for the new activity takes away from the time that if you had just stuck with it and gotten it finished, you know, you would have been finished and moved on a lot sooner. Yeah. Well, this, uh, you talking about this just reminds me of that book. I believe it's called the one thing it's from, Keller Williams, a real three company, and their the whole idea behind that book is all about efficiency and and figuring out. I think it is this idea of multitasking and figuring out instead that one thing that is like the most important thing to focus on. And I think they liken it to like dominoes, right? And what mm-hmm. is that first domino that you can hit, you know, so that. 
by hitting that, it knocks out all of the other dominoes. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. How do you figure out, I guess for you at a practical level, how do you figure out what that, like that first domino is on certain things? Well, you know, I really like the book, Change Your Questions, Change Your Life by Marilee Adams. And the it's a really great book to use for um, life coaching or executive coaching, but it was really impactful for me because it helped me ask the right kind of questions. So if I ask the question, what is it that I want? And that helps me, number one, keep my eye focused on what the vision for the business is. But, you know, what is it that I want to do today? What do I need to accomplish today? And what um, are my priorities? What really, actually, you know, one of the things I remember a long time ago was going through a Franklin Covey time management training. And I I remember that they talked about um, kind of categorizing and helping yourself understand the difference between what you need to do and what you want to do, because we get those things really confused. We say a lot of things are what I need to do, but really it's, I want to do that. It's my comfort zone, or I really like doing that. So then it can cause me to procrastinate on the stuff that I need to do, but don't particularly enjoy. So I try to start each day with a plan for um, what are the things that I need to do today? And then if there's time, I do the things that I want to do today today. Um, or I interject some of the things I want to do because those are the things that kind of charge me up and keep me more energized about what I'm doing. Because if I fill the whole day with things I need to do, then I, you know, could have a pretty dull day. So I interject some fun stuff too, the things I want to do, but it's asking myself those questions each day about what do I want to do? And is this going to help me get what I want? And if the answer is no, then it begs the question, then what can I do instead? Or Mm -hmm. what's a better use of my time? So it's staying in this process of asking myself the right questions is what helps me focus on what I need to do, which helps me be more efficient just on a daily basis. Yeah. I love how like, even you like approach it from this perspective of being very mindful and very intentional. I think the other thought that I had was, uh, have you found a difference in terms of like the, the focusing on the tasks that you need to do? If you, if you get those out of the way, have you found that it, you just like at a practical level, you just have a better day? Uh, Yeah, I think procrastination is really, um, really kind of a motivation killer on several levels because when I put stuff off um, that I don't want to do, then it's always still back in the back of my head bugging me and getting on my nerves, you know. So if I just say I can get this done and then I can move on to something else that I'd really rather do, it makes it worth it just to go ahead and kind of put my nose to the grindstone and get that task that I need to do done. And, you know, I, I play a little um, mind games with myself, I guess, in terms of um, rewarding, you know, so I'll look at it like it's a reward. You know, if I get this particular task done that I need to do, maybe it's a form for insurance or it's um, I, I'm returning a phone call I don't particularly want to return, you mm-hmm. know, but something that I'm just really not looking forward to do. And I'll say, okay, Dana, if you get this done, this thing you don't particularly want to do, but you need to do, then you can, and I'll give myself some tasks to do that I really look forward to, or I really enjoy, or I know will be a lot of fun, but I have to do the thing I don't want to do first. Um, And I apply that even with running. Like if I can run a certain amount of time without 
um, taking a break or, you know, you know, get to a certain point without stopping, then I can have some kind of reward. And so it's, it's the things it's that kind of mindset helps keep me motivated so that I don't end up, um, getting really behind because I've procrastinated on the stuff that I don't particularly want to do. Yeah. I mean, I love how you have like multiple checks and balances in place, everything from (laughs) checking in in the morning to like making sure the, like, checking in every day in terms of making sure you've gotten things done. Right. You know, uh, just shifting a little bit, I, I was thinking like, what's, you know, having now been in private practice and, you know, seeing multiple clinicians, uh, you know, and what's like a common mistake that you see clinicians making, whether it's like a new clinician or a seasoned clinician, a common mistake that they make when it comes to just efficiency with their practice. The thing that comes to mind is that they don't appreciate or recognize that all minutes are valuable and have purpose. You know, when I was managing counselors, when I was in an agency, um, I would have different counselors come to me complaining about how hard they were working and that they'd say, you know, I've been working 50 hours this week and I'm still haven't gotten everything done. And what I would say to them is I've never, I don't ask you to work hard. I never said you need to work harder or you're not working hard enough. Um, I would always say, I want you to work smart. And so I would teach them ways to work smart if they were open to it. And not everybody was. A lot of people were like, well, this is a, this is the way I am, you know, but the people that were open to it were the ones that could really make some good strides in how they manage their time. Because what I realized is that we all have what I call time sucks in our day. And if we're not aware of them, then we end up losing valuable time every day that we could be using to get things done, which in turn gives us the free time that we want. So for some of the clinicians that I supervised, I'd have them do a time study where they would track what they did every 15 minutes for a week. And that's granted, you know, that's kind of tedious, but what would happen is that it was really eye-opening for them to see where they were actually losing time. And so once they were able to have that visual of where I'm kind of losing time or how much time I'm actually spending on something, like they might find out, you know, it's taking me three hours to do an assessment when it should really only take me one or I'm spending two hours a day writing progress notes. And, you know, that's obviously too long. How can I be more efficient with that? So, um, you know, I would help them, you know, figure out by once we had identified where the time sucks were, what they could do about it. Um, And so I would help them try to understand is that it's really important that we squeeze all the time out of our workday possible. So, you know, it doesn't mean we don't ever take a break. And I, you know, really, I would encourage people to take lots of breaks. We lose productivity after we sit for more than about 45 minutes at a stretch. So we've got to get up and move. But when I've got to work, I'm going to work. So if I've got time between clients, I'm going to return a phone call or get a snack or respond to an email or type a progress note because five minutes is five minutes. So I'm going to use it. And like I said, it may be to take a break, but I'm mindful about the break. I'm not sitting here scrolling through Facebook, you know, I'm doing something that's going to help me, um, you know, if I can knock out one progress note because I've got five minutes between clients, that's one less progress note I need to write when I get home, you know, Mm -hmm. so I can spend time with my child and my husband when I get there, you know, so if I've got time, I'm going to use it. So that would be the thing I would say um, I see folks really missing those opportunities. So they go, well, I've only got 20 minutes. Well, no, you have 20 minutes. You've 20 minutes is a lot of time if right. you want to use it for, you know, to be productive and get some things done. Yeah. I forgot who, uh, actually this was one of my good friends who's like, 
this productivity whiz as well, but uh, he told me this idea of like even breaking down like days into like 25 minute or 30 minute increments. And I know for oh. counseling, like I can be a little hard, but just this general idea of like breaking it down into certain times so that you are very, you know exactly what you're doing during that time. Mm-hmm. And then taking uh, yeah, a little absolutely. break, like, you know, so he does like 25 minutes on five minute break, 25 minutes on five minute break like that. Mm-hmm. And that I actually use that strategy with people who have, a, have ADHD or really struggle with paying attention and sitting still is they try to force themselves into this mold of I've got to sit still for X amount of time in class or and I, you know, say you may have to be in class, but you can do things to help yourself focus. In particular, if you're at home studying, you know, there's things you can do and they'll say, I need to study all this time, but they forget that I'm actually more productive if I get up and move periodically or I break my task into small ones so that it's not like I have this gigantic task to do. I've got five little small ones to do. So it feels more manageable, which tends to help them not feel as overwhelmed and then not lead to procrastination. Right. Uh, Dana, as we wrap up, you know, one of the last questions that I wanted to ask you was knowing that all you know now with, you know, supervising clinicians, uh, knowing that all you know about just efficiency, uh, what top three tips would you give that, you know, folks that are listening to this conversation can just walk away and employ like starting today? Well, I would say, first of all, you want to make staying caught up a priority. You know, don't get behind that. Wow, that doesn't kill productivity. I don't know what is because nobody functions well when they're behind. So, you know, making sure you're doing your notes and your billing on a very regular, if not daily basis, um, you're just not going to be as good for anybody if you get overwhelmed. So, you know, and then also if you bill insurance and you get behind and don't bill, then you don't get paid. So that's a pretty big motivator for me to, to stay caught up anyway, says, you know, I want to get paid for what I do. So, um, you know, staying caught up. Um, I would say start with an online documentation system from the beginning. Um, when, when we first started the private practice, I didn't, and I was using paper charting, but now I've switched to an online system and it's way more efficient. Um, what, what are you just, using? We use Theranest, and uh, it's super helpful in terms of the charting is very easy. It's online, obviously, so I can chart from wherever my laptop is. And it has really great tracking for retention and cancellation rates and, like, no-shows and that kind of thing. So I have that data in front of me. And that's that's another reason I wish I'd had that from the beginning, so I could have been tracking that. But it does my appointment reminders for me, so it's very helpful in terms of keeping me organized. So we have that, but if someone were just starting out, I and when we bring new practitioners on as independent contractors, I recommend that from the get-go, that they go ahead, even if you have one client, go ahead and start with it. You'll be glad when you're full that you've got this information. And then the other thing I would suggest is to keep an envelope system for all of your monthly accounting documentation. We have a folder for every month, and in the folder, we keep all our cash receipts, our deposit slips, our insurance EOPs, duplicate check stubs, and our credit card receipts receipts and they're all clipped together and so and then we put our monthly bank statement in there so each month you can see a clear accounting picture of our business in each envelope and so when we took those folders to our accountant in December I guess so she could do our taxes for this year she was beside herself because she normally has people just bring piles and piles and piles of paper and receipts and everything all you know 
crazy mixed up together and just having that very streamlined system for keeping up with our accounting paperwork in addition to our QuickBooks online made tracking that so much easier and uh, or tracking all our expenses and income so much easier and then made her getting our books ready for filing the taxes that much more uh, expedient. Those are very practical tips. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing this. Sure. Uh, Dana, what are some of the best ways that folks can get in touch with you? They can email me at Dana, D-A-N-A, at TheBalancedLifeLLC.com or can contact us through our website, which is www.TheBalancedLifeLLC.com. We have a contact us page on there. So either one of those would be probably the easiest and fastest way. And like I said, I really like talking about efficiency and, and running your practice smoothly. So if I can be helpful to any of my colleagues, I'm more than happy to be. Awesome. Dana, thank you again for doing this. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Melvin. Have a great day. You too. Hey, what's up? Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dana. I know that was a lot of action-packed material. I hope that you found it really helpful. I was just sitting there thinking, man, thinking about this, like this is a topic that we really don't think about. And I was just thinking the amount of minutes and even hours that something being having an inefficient practice can add to our workload. One of the big things that really stood out to me from the conversation was this idea of an envelope system. You know, truth be told, when I was an intern, I used an envelope system just to manage all my finances because I was on an intern salary and kind of had to do that. But I love the concept of using it in private practice and just being able to stay organized. I I don't know. You know, I don't know if this has really come up, but this has definitely come up in a lot of pre-podcast conversations that I have with therapists, that they really say that their their ability to stay efficient in their practice, um, there's a direct correlation to also how successful their practice is and how centered they feel with clients. And that makes a lot of sense because if you're spending a lot of time with some of the other administrative things in your practice, uh, spending a lot of time on that, I can imagine that leads to just a lack of balance. If you'd like to know more about Dana and the work that she is doing in the world, again, you can find that at thebalancedlifellc.com. Show notes to today's episode can be found at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 64. I'm doing quite a bit of uh, revamping on the STC blog, and one of the things that I've been really working on is the Selling the Couch resource page. I have not updated it in a while, and I just felt like some of the things that I I was sharing on there, uh, I just wanted to kind of tweak things up. I've learned a lot here after now doing 64 episodes, so I'm going to be adding things to it. You can find that at sellingthecouch.com forward slash resources, and these are all sorts of tools and tips and all sorts of things to uh, become a better private practitioner. Have a great rest of your week, and I will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com.
Hey friends, hope you enjoyed today's podcast session. And if you are in a season where you've been thinking long and hard about launching an online course, just wanted to invite you to our brand new workshop titled Behind the Scenes of a Small Launch to a $300,000 Online Course. You can sign up over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. We try to do a really good job with this workshop. We updated a whole bunch of new material and Some of the things that you'll learn in this workshop are the five key steps to take your course from an idea to generating income, some of my top gear and software recommendations in order to launch your online course, and the top three mistakes that I made with my Healthcasters podcasting course, which I launched back in 2015 and have been fortunate to have over 272 students in that course. Again, you can sign up over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.